Hi everyone, Sam here, the host of Tapped into Bowhunting and Archery. The opinions expressed on this show may not necessarily represent Titanium Archery Products as a company. While I do have a great deal of experience as an archer, I don't consider myself an expert in any particular area other than the products I design and produce for TAP. Enjoy the show. Hello everybody, welcome to Tapped into Bowhunting and Archery. This is Sam Schaefer, your host, and I have another special episode I'm bringing to you today. I have two guests. They're both members of our brand ambassador team, very valuable additions we've recently added to the team. So welcome to the show, Amber and Pat Casey. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. Guys, you're out in Michigan, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, it's quite cold there. I'm sure a little bit colder even than here, and it's brutal today. Yeah, I woke up to 11 below this morning, wow. and the dog wanted nothing to do with being outside. Yeah, I, I would not doubt that in the least. Yeah, not what ideal. Down to this, what were you guys down to this morning? Uh, most parts around here were down to anywhere from like 2 to 5 or so. You know, so it wasn't uh, negative. It wasn't negative numbers. But, uh, you know, we're in southern. We're actually not too far from the Maryland PA line. We're only about 12, oh. 13 okay. miles north of that. So, you know, you get further up into the mountainous areas of PA, and, yeah, it's, it's considerably colder up there. Yeah. yeah, it'll drop quick up there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, not ideal for, you know, if you're, if you're bow hunting, if you are into the late season uh, in Maryland, that's still in. But, uh, oh, really? I, yeah, it is all the way through the end of the month, actually. So, I would not. I would have nothing to do with that. No, no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought about it. It's one of those things where I, I'm getting that itch to get back out again, but not that much of an itch. So yeah. uh, <laughs> decided against it. But in any case, so reason, the you know, reason we have our, our special guests here with us today is we want to cover a bunch of topics that I think will be of great interest to listeners. Uh, Pat and Amber have done some really interesting hunts out west. They're going for elk, and I'm sure they have a lot of adventures they could share, a lot of experience that would be relatable to listeners, maybe people that are contemplating getting into that themselves. They also have, I, I believe, a really high level of, um, of an, you know, an ethical approach to bow hunting, from what I've been able to gather from you guys. And that matters a lot to me. You seem to care a great deal about doing it right. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that matters a lot. So explain to you, to, to me rather, and to listeners, what is it to you that defines being good at bow hunting and being good at archery? Oh, there's just so many things you can go into on that. Um, I mean, practice. I mean, especially doing out west hunts. I mean, between doing whitetail and out west, I mean, you're... You, you have obviously want to practice quite a bit, but um, hunting out west for sure. I mean, you're we're shooting every single day, um, shooting long distances. Um, I mean, I'm practicing out to 65 yards. Um, and, I mean, in between just practicing for out west or for or for whitetail, I mean, your equipment. I mean. That, that makes a huge you, you got to get it dialed in. Yeah. You, know, you can't yes. pick up your bow in yes. June or July and expect, oh, I'm shooting great at 60 yards or 65 yeah. yards. That's awesome. But if your gear's not dialed in, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Absol- yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're, they're so- I mean, that is a really big factor. It truly is. We're talking about, like, tuning your arrow, you know, your rest. We, we build arrows from, you know, bear shaft. I, I say we, but Pat. <laughs> Pilled them from sure. bear shaft out, and 
it's it's a process. It is. It is. And, and I like that you understand and explain it that way. That, that is so important that that the listeners that might be out there and, you know, no one's condemning anyone. No one's putting anyone down. We don't think we're better. But oh, but no. but there are aspects to this that if you embrace them, if you embrace that level of detail and that level of understanding about what it takes to be prepared, to really be prepared, it, it makes a difference in how you yeah, perform. Yeah, if you were to talk to us two, three, four years, like three, four years ago, we'd have been like tuning what? Right. Let's just grab an arrow, and if it right. hits the target at, right. at forty yards, then we're good. Right, and and you know the thing is, you may be able to, in some cases, be f- relatively consistent with minimal tuning, but yeah. but but there's things that you know that could be a stroke of luck. In some cases, it really could. And, you know, and conditions change so much. And you guys are well aware of this. But in the field, conditions are so dramatically different. It's hard to replicate in practice. It is so difficult. So, yeah, I was going to say the other thing is, too, it's like it seems like nowadays there's there's been kind of a little bit of a shift. Like I I didn't start bull hunting until uh, um, I graduated college in 2005. Mm -hmm. And. I went to a bow shop and picked up a bow, and they're like, how many pounds are you going to pull? Here's the arrow you need. Uh, what kind of broadhead do you want? I'm right. like, I have no idea. Right. So it's like right. you pick you, newer bow hunters or or people that um, don't have a lot of experience with with bow hunting. I mean, it seems like some shops nowadays, they, they – Pick it off a chart. So they look at the chart. Yeah. I know. It's way more in-depth than that. I know. Well, I think they see it as, I'm going to get this guy relatively close to being at at a place where you could say he's tuned. It's not going to be precision-tuned, and he's not going to have precision accuracy, but he'll probably be fairly happy with it. You know, especially... And and I think as the shop owner, that's... That's a that's a goal accomplished in their mind probably at that point. Yeah. You know, but and there's some really good shops out there too. Oh yeah. There's some people who are very detailed and care a great deal. Then there's some who, you know, I've heard stories where they'll put a peep in and say, Well, you're not you don't need me to tie that in, do you? It's not gonna go anywhere. It's like well, yeah, I do. And it could go somewhere. You know, just my bow hunting this year, I mean I I beat I beat my bow and the sights pretty hard taking deer out, just for example. And, mm-hmm. you, and you, can't, you can't tell in some cases even, you know, because of all the trauma of the bow and everything's going through as you're getting things out of the woods, you're not even sure if something moved. So having it tied, having it secure, knowing that your gear is going to hold up, I believe that's critical. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, you guys are on the same page. And we are so pleased to be bringing people on the, the team that are like this, to have your mentality, because that's what we need, and that will become contagious, I believe, over time. Yeah, I I hope so. Just some of the people that I talk to that don't tune their bow, and I kind of get into it a little bit, it, it sparks their interest. You know, they mm-hmm. get curious about it, and I don't know, but hopefully that turns into them actually doing their research and doing more with their bow than just sighting it in. Yeah, it certainly does, uh, you know, impact things. Uh, so to get back to something Pat brought up earlier, you said you were shooting like to 65 yards or so. So mm. the, the reason for that is that your Western type shots are typically a lot longer? Uh, mainly, 
I don't know if we would take a shot at an elk that far, but it's if you can shoot a good group at 65 yards, then 50 yards is a chip shot yep. pretty much. It sure yeah, is. It's yeah. amazing when, when you do practice at that long distance and then you you step up to like 35, 40 yards, like, wow, this seems like it's only five steps like, away. Point blank. It does. It does. And, you know, the muscle memory, the level of body control that you're using to be able to be precise at those longer distances, I mean, you'll, you'll take that and use it at the shorter distance as well. But everything yeah. is so much more honed. You know, I shoot at 80 to 100 throughout, you know, throughout the year, not the winter so much, but certainly over the summer, I shoot a lot at that distance and, you know, putting like a small balloon up and being able to consistently hit that balloon at 100 yards. That is something that, you know, if you can do that now, no, I wouldn't shoot an animal at that distance either, but, 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 but the confidence, the confidence level is big. So in your journey from beginning bow hunters to where you are at this point, how much has confidence played a role in what you've done? Quite a bit. Um, I mean, I still go through roller coasters throughout the summer. I mean, my confidence will be shot. Last year at Total Archery Challenge, how many arrows did I lose? Uh, two I, or three. I don't even know. That's I common. That's common I, out there, though. Yeah. Well, the year before, I was just dead nuts on. Yeah. You know, not, not a problem at all. And same yeah. thing at home. When your confidence is gone, it's you just yeah. don't want to shoot anymore. Yeah. yeah. You just want to put your bow back and be yep. like, I'm done. I'm That's, done. I like hearing your, your frank, you know, just your frank perspective on that. That's so true. It yeah. really is. And archery is that type of sport, too, where you can get really down and frustrated pretty quickly if things it aren't going right. It's all mental. I tell you what, it's... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, it, you know, that, that applies, of course, to... <laughs> to game in the field if if you wound an animal which if you bow hunt long enough you're probably going to have that happen to you let's just yeah. let's be honest <laughs> um you know there's guys that i'll I, I like to talk about what i see on social media because i a find it to be a really good insight into where people are but also it, at times it's comical and, and i'll read <laughs> i'll read posts and people say well you know i've been bow hunting for 20 years always a complete pass through they always fall within 20 yards you know, he's like, uh, I, I, I highly question that. And maybe those deer are tied to a tree. I don't know, or something like maybe they're tied up somewhere in a pen because I don't think that's how it works. You know, and I've been bow hunting 26 years and yeah, I've lost a couple too. That's the way it goes. But th that sting, you know, it, that, that can really drag you down too, but you have to get up and you have to come oh, back yeah. at it and you do. Yeah. But, and that's uh, where that goes back to confidence. You know, does. you're out in the field got an out 20 yards in front of you bugling his head off you need to be confident that you can make that shot you you shouldn't even think twice about oh man last time i shot it was terrible right. And, right. and you shouldn't even have to think about the process i mean you <laughs> shoot if you shoot enough it's just all muscle memory yep. you just do it yep yeah. yep yeah, it's, you're right i mean it it will come so naturally that that aspect will, will filter out of your mind and then the other things that you can be conscious of that you should be conscious of in some cases will, will come into play. And I've noticed that in my own bow hunting is, you know, being more conscious of, of particular aspects of movement, for example, like when is really the ideal time to get yourself into the position to be ready to draw the bow? When, mm -hmm. you know, because thinking about how animals are coming, going to be coming in towards you, and this is more maybe relevant to whitetail, but, but I've seen that become an issue and then rehearsing those conscious steps that I want to take 
during that process, during, you know, even attaching the release to the string, if you're using a thumb release or, or whatever yeah. it may be, how you're going to manipulate those things is, is and something. Try and trying to stop yourself from shaking when you're doing that so you can. Tough task. <laughs> <laughs> Tough. But you know what? It, that's, you're right about confidence, though, because, you know, like this year, uh, that was the biggest buck I'd taken with a bow. And I wasn't that. I wasn't as ups, uh, you know, kind of internally upset or agitated as I would have expected to be afterwards. Yes, yeah, yeah. but but not leading up to it because I had done a lot of homework ahead of time on where these deer would come from, and it worked out correctly. Now, if it hadn't worked out as I envisioned, maybe that would have thrown me. I don't I don't know, but it did, and you know, so I love talking about that. I think I think that's something we need to stress heavily. That, that and, and equipment plays a role in that. So that's what I was going to segue into here is confidence. Equipment can lead to confidence if you're performing well with it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So talk about why you gravitated to tap products and do they play a role in that? You want me to do that one? Well, I was going to have Pat go first just because he's the one that – kind of found you first and then yes. introduced it to me because he well you can start with what you started with and then go into what i got for my whole year yeah i mean when i when i first started shooting i mean i was using the four or five inch limb saver um just off the shelf that you'd, you'd buy from uh any any archery shop mm -hmm. um and then then i went to not shooting any stabilizer um mm. I don't I don't know why, but really? uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I was still shooting shooting well, um, and then uh, then I tried another brand of stabilizer, but never really did did much um, <clears throat> length or weight off the front of my bow. It was mostly off the off the back, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, it was last. It was early last year. Early last it? summer, yeah. Um, listening to. Uh, Kevin's uh, Deer Hunter podcast, and you were you were on the show talking about your your products there. And, yeah. Um, I kind of looked into it a little bit, and then uh, I ended up giving you a call. And I remember that. I remember that call. I, 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 yeah, I was like, I kind of wanted to try this out. Um, it sounded like a great product, and um, after talking to you, I went with uh, an eight inch um, Element X and a six inch Element X. And uh, put that on my bow. I put the eight inch off the front and the six inch off the off the side, and it was night and day. She loved it. I mean, hmm. having that that previous stabilizer on there. I mean, I was I was still shooting pretty well up to sixty five yards. Um, but, but once I went to the the tap products, I mean, I, I think I even texted you. It's like it was. I was able to hold way steadier yeah. and my groups tightened up so much more it was it was unreal yeah that and it's funny because when he you know he said that he called you talked to you texted you and he's telling me all this i'm like you're talking to the owner of the company <laughs> and he's actually conversing right. well <laughs> I, I was really surprised at that and like so that yeah. kind of sparked my interest well you know it, it, there's something really interesting you'll learn and i've learned this you know, since starting the company, is that with archery companies, aside from your Hoyts, your Eastons, people in, in that realm, a lot of these companies are 
are relatively small. I mean, the, the overall, yeah. you know, structure behind it, it's not a lot of people in many cases. And, you know, you can at least get a response perhaps from, from somebody who's in a decision-making position or an owner. I mean, it's not common that you would have customer service being handled, but, mm-hmm. but you can. And, you know, I'm realizing that. But, you know, that's, to me, that is very relevant that, that I can maintain that with people. Because I, you know, I started this for uh, out of passion for archery and for bow hunting, and I and I started this as as a, you know, really it's an experimental thing in the beginning. It really was not intended to blow up or become <laughs> something huge. So I look at it and say, yeah, I did talk to Pat, and I've talked to so many different people. And how can I keep that? How can I not lose that over time? And and I don't I don't want to. So I have to figure that out as things grow even more. It, it gets more yeah. difficult to to make those yeah, calls. Yeah, that's definitely tough. I mean, yeah. I mean, other than having a great product, it's it's like customer service in my book is huge. Yeah. And on top of having a great product and great customer service, it's like I, I don't know how you can go wrong. And then it's like you keep growing and growing. And if you can keep that going, I mean, that's that's going to be a, a big that's a, that's yeah. a great business model. Yeah, just don't forget about us when you get really really. Well, <laughs> people have often people have often said that, and I don't know how I could. I really don't. Yeah. I think. The way I see it is the people that have been loyal and stuck with us from the very beginning, even when we had some relatively crude designs and, you know, the performance was still there. But in the beginning, you know, they didn't look as nice as they do now. I look at it like we're going to drag those people along wherever we go. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's hopefully what we can do is we can offer uh, more benefit to the people that have supported us as we go along. And who knows where it'll end up at? We really don't. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so that's great to hear. And, you know, we might have some people listening that are skeptics. We always have skeptics. And, you know, uh, and some of the skeptics will say things like, well, yeah, but if this guy was only using lower quality stabilizers, then any good stabilizer would have helped him. And I would agree in part with that, uh, that any good stabilizer and correct weighting balance would improve things. But time and time again, people will come back to us, especially with the longer shooting, like he was saying, 60, 65, and, and even beyond. They're seeing something that's different there. And, you know, we can, we can attribute that to the titanium, to the vortex material that's inside. So there are substantial differences. Is it night and day? Well, it depends on how good you are, I think. It depends a lot on your yeah. skill level. Um, it depends on the bow you're shooting, for that matter. It really does. Yep. Uh, a carbon bow, for example, will show dramatic deadening versus uh, a heavier aluminum bow won't show as much because it's mm-hmm. it's already damping a lot of that energy itself. Yeah. Um, you know. So yeah, I just I love to hear what people's perspective is. I'm and just FYI, anybody listening, we we take criticism. We, we want to hear what people yeah. would want to see improved. If there's areas that need to be adjusted over time, we try to do that. So it's great to hear the praise, but it's okay also to hear the downsides if people see them. And yeah, and I I picked up. Um, well, he, Pat ordered for me the stabilizer or the string stop mm-hmm. for I was shooting a Hoyt Power Max, and he, he would always say something. He's like, "Man, your bow's loud. Man, your bow's loud." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. he ordered that string stop for me. I'm like, "All right, whatever. Just put sure. it on." You right. ordered it for me, right? So threw it on, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah. You can feel it. You can hear it. That's yeah. that's pretty nice. Yeah." yeah. Yeah. And so that was the only product that I had because 
I didn't get a stabilizer, but I just picked up a uh, Matthews Tri-X, mm-hmm. and I got the 8-inch? Yeah, I think yeah the 8-inch Element X. And right. I haven't got it set up yet. Right. I've just drawn it drawn back with it on. I just realized something, face, guys. I, I, fa- I failed to mention to people that you guys are husband and wife. So if, if, anybody, <laughs> if anybody hadn't concluded that already, I'm, I imagine people were guessing that might be the case. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so... We, we, go ahead. We talk like we're buddies sometimes, but you'll, you'll get the husband and wife tension Sure, <laughs> sure. And that can contribute in positive and negative ways, I'm sure, when it comes to, when it comes to hunting and archery. But, you know, the reason I bring that up is, you know, I was thinking... You know, people might, um, you know, they might wonder about, you know, how it is that, it, that you know, you, you ended up sharing products or sharing those, you know, those opinions yeah. with each other. Yeah. But it made me think, too, how initially I remember seeing on social media through Instagram, at some point in time, I saw Amber's bow with a string stop. And I didn't realize at that point that you were, uh, that you were affiliated or married in you know, any way connected to Pat. <laughs> So I was just thinking, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, where'd that string stop pop up? You know, I, I, you know a lot of times that's what happens. Like, anymore, it's so scattered. There's so many people all over the place that it's, it's yeah. tough to, to connect the dots sometimes. Um, but, yeah. But, yeah, that, that's cool. I like, I like to hear these stories. You know, 10, 15 years down the line, I'll, I'll, I'll remember these things. You know, hopefully. It's like, this is how it all, <laughs> this is how it all began. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a good overview of what you guys are running. Um, you know, and I think I don't, I don't like to make these episodes an infomercial really, or anything like that. Like, I don't want it to become just too heavy on tap product promotion or anything like that. It just, I want to keep people thinking, you know, keep you interested. If you haven't checked the website, you should. And I kind of leave it at that. So let's swing around to some other subject areas uh, we, we, we touched on the hunting for elk. Uh, what originally brought you guys to even attempting that? Oh. Um, I, just growing up, you know, in Michigan, just whitetail hunting, fishing, outdoors. I, there was always something nagging at me growing up because I, I love the mountains. I love out west. Yeah. And then the first time I ever heard an elk bugle on TV, I'm like, I'm going to hunt those things. I don't know when. I, I don't know. It could be when I'm 50 or when I'm 20. Mm-hmm. But I just knew I want to go out there and hunt them. It was on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. And three or four years ago, three years ago, I'm like, I'm going out. And I just went out to Colorado wow. and did it. Didn't see an elk. But <laughs> By yourself or? I uh, know with another friend. Okay. And that, that's a whole nother podcast. Okay. We, okay. We, yeah. We won't go. <laughs> I, I, no need to touch on anything that's, that you don't want to uncover. But, uh, but yeah, so that's really cool, though. And I would say that's relatively rare that somebody would just get that idea and then say, hey, I'm just going to go do this without mm-hmm. a guide or without some sort of semi-guided situation. You know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I also didn't have, like, 3000 disposable dollars for right. a guided hunt. So <laughs> right. I kind of had to do it on my own. Do you agree with this statement? I, this is how I feel about it. I'd rather, and I'm going to do this as well at some point, but I'd rather go out there, pick a tract of public land to, to hunt, and not be successful and not even see many animals. I'd rather do that than be guided. Yes. I mean, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is, is there's some people that just plain don't have the time yeah. to devote to the public land um, DIY side of hunting. Yeah. 
So, you know, if you had the money to go out on a guided hunt, then... By all means, do it. Yeah. And and your success rate, obviously, is going to be considerably higher. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But there is something to be said about DIY, public land, unguided, just going out there, spending 10, 14 days, and getting it done. Yeah. That that is huge. Well, the other thing is, too, it's, I mean, DIY, public land is is challenging and it's and it's tough um i got lucky and my first year which was four years ago um i went with a friend of mine that i had worked with out to montana and he knew somebody that had a like a five thousand acre ranch and i got to hunt private property for elk awesome but i didn't know a single thing about elk hunting at the time um it was kind of a for the moment thing in August, he asked me to go. I bought a, a tag over the counter and mm. and went out there. And we had elk and, and bulls every single day. And neither of us shot an elk uh, that first year. Mm. And, th- and this was probably his, I'd say, 10th or 12th time mm. out west elk hunting. And he had shot elk before, so I was kind of leaning on him for yeah. his expertise. Sure. But, uh, I mean, even hunting private private land it's just as tough yeah yeah which because we've hunted private land the last two years out in montana Hmm. um it's yeah it's hard yeah we have elk they're on top of us we have them we're into them but that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to to harvest one it certainly doesn't and you know there are there are parallels, I'm sure, to whitetail on private, but then there's also differences I, I can envision being there. You know, in some cases, you know, a lot of the people that, that I interact with or that shoot our gear, I mean, they have situations that are very cultivated for whitetail and they're on private. And yeah. they do have uh, really a prime situation where they can take the time to pick certain animals and take, you know, take mm-hmm. their shots. Um, in some cases, of course, baiting is, is permissible in these places too. And that that changes so much. And now you can take a situation like that and say, well, that's private land, but this guy also hunts private land, but he can't do a lot of those things. He doesn't have food plots put out. And and those deer, in my view, are probably just about as difficult as public land whitetails. So, you know, just because you say private land does not make it an automatic, it's not a gimme. It, it, no, it depends. No. Depends on the scenario. It really does. Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, even. I mean, we even also hunted uh, some federal land. Yeah, the private land butts up to. Uh, I don't even know how many thousands of acres, but. Yeah. So I mean, that, it was nice to have that because, I mean, hunting private land too, it's not always awesome because you can't if you push them or. I mean, elk, they'll move five miles in, a, in an evening, wow. and Long you might wake up the next morning, and there's no elk around. Right. Which happened to us, right. speaking from experience. So, you know, then you, oh, there's a property line. We can't go any further. Yeah, it's not stuck. like thousands of acres of public land. Okay, we'll go to the next trailhead so or whatever. How reactive have you seen elk be to pressure from people? Are they reactive as much, as, or, or how does that work? Well, to be completely honest, the lands, the private property that we hunt, the property owners walk around there quite a bit, so they're a little more used to human scent. Sure. So we, I don't think we can really say much to that. Hmm. We still play the wind and play the thermals and, 
And, and we've never really blown them out before. No. We're pretty careful. That's so. Good. Interesting. Uh, yeah, there's. Yeah, we we have a hard time answering that question. <laughs> yeah, I just I just out of curiosity, it popped into my head because that is such an area of focus with whitetail hunters. You know, everybody's always talking about pressured animals, and you know that's even its own little genre of of hunting. Guys will focus on areas that are pressured just to say I you know I accomplished that that yeah. I, I got yeah. a deer out of a pressured area and I didn't know how, how elk reacted I didn't know how attuned they were to scent uh, you know I would imagine similar uh very, oh they're you know, yeah you know. yeah I mean there's uh I guess we haven't really pressured them too hard quite yet just because we ha- we haven't wanted to blow them out of the area so we've, we've been a little bit easier on them but a little more careful yeah, yeah. It's hmm. like they there's there's guys that say that they can hear you or hear you twice, smell you once. No, see, hear you twice, see you once. Or, I don't know how it goes. I, yeah. I get the drift one though. Thing, I get the drift. Yeah, one thing yeah. Smell you it's hear. over. It's over at that point. Yep, I know. Yeah. I, I have to agree. Well, at least based on my experience, if they're if they carry similar characteristics to whitetail, that would be true there too. Is that yeah? yeah, yeah. You know, you don't get that second opportunity once the once the scent's been picked up. I mean, that's it's over. The thing, the thing with cows, though, is they don't sit there and blow and stomp at you. Like, like a white tail would. Like a doe would. Like a white tail doe would. Yeah, that's a good and bad thing. I guess it depends yeah. if, if you're looking to take a, if you're looking to take a cow or not. Um, yeah, that's it's soft, just fascinating to me. So you know, part of doing shows like this is that yeah, I'm I'm getting you know I'm getting this content out there, exposing people to it. But for my own personal interests, I like to explore and, and learn. You know, and find out what I can from people that have done things that I haven't yet. Uh, certainly, uh, if I if I were able to take people up on the offers, I would have been out to all these states. But running tap dominates mm-hmm. my, dominates everything that I that I have yeah. available, pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, so that I haven't. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's thinking about going out, just go out. Yeah. I mean, there, there's been guys that we've talked to here in Michigan, and they obviously want to hear the elk hunting stories, blah blah blah. Man, you know, they say, I've been wanting to go out for two, three, four years now, but just it hasn't worked out. I'm like, dude, it's never going to work out. <laughs> right. You just need to go. There's never the perfect but time, right? Yeah. You have to yeah. just pack your shit and go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, and that's a great point. You know, sometimes you just have to say, you know, I, I have to put aside this, the excuses and, and, yep. and attempt this. And part of it might be that people are a little concerned about how, if they'll succeed or not, you know, and, and they may even be questioning their skills. You know, their yeah. skills yeah. In, in archery, and that may be holding them back, too. And, you know, they won't necessarily admit that to people, I, I would think, but that probably plays a big role. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, can I make that shot under those conditions? You know, and, yeah. and, and what if I have one get away on me? You know, I, you know, I, have, I had a guy that stopped in here. He's a local, local guy to me, and he went out to – where was he at? He was in Colorado, I think, this year. And he – I mean, he's a phenomenal shot. He puts a lot of effort and time into his, into his archery. And he just, I think he just misranged a deer, ended up, ended up with a you know, marginal hit on an elk. And he just, he was beating himself up over it. But it was one of those things where he just didn't, he didn't anticipate that happening because he had planned so thoroughly, um, you know. But if that idea does creep into your head that, that you know, you'll, you'll fail, I would imagine that could hold you back. So I had oh, to stop making my both, own excuses. We both failed miserably in 2017. Yeah. I, uh... I missed an elk uh, five by five at 20 yards. It hit a hit a branch, oh, ricocheted off, and mm. 
yeah, that's that's kind of a longer story, but that's the it's gist tough. of it. But I never had an elk at 20 yards in front of me, so he stepped out bugling. Wow. And I about crapped my pants. I bet. I bet. And that's a big that's a big animal. Oh, yeah. Pretty so close. So missed him, and he took off about 40 yards, and he was at 60 yards for Pat. And he, he didn't misjudge, but just... I didn't take my time because I was I was calling this bull in behind a pine tree for her and uh, yeah it was I, I figured he was a dead bull so I just wanted to get another arrow in him. Oh yeah, he didn't know that I missed. Ah, oh, that's yeah. it. Okay, yeah. So I didn't I didn't take my time to right. aim as right. as best as I should have and I kind of kicked myself for that. That's shot high, sixty yards. Easy to do, real easy to do. Him, so oh yeah, yeah I, I cried for like three days I think. Yeah, I. I <laughs> I can only imagine, and that's that's a great lesson. I mean, I was talking about that in one of the earlier podcasts that we did. Is you know, I think I think experiencing the pain of of not succeeding, of having something go wrong, I, I think it's really good and, and it's yeah. necessary. And if you have too much success too early, or if it's too easy, it just leads to a misperception, I believe. And you don't you don't appreciate no, it. No, you really don't. You don't, and that's so important. And I, I think that's, you know, we need to keep that at the forefront, too, of what this company does, is that we are bow hunters at heart. We care a lot about that aspect of things, and we want people to get the experience out of this, out of yep. hunting, out of archery. And, and if it becomes too routine or if it becomes something you're not passionate about anymore, then, then maybe it's time for something else. You know, yep. I, I don't know. Right. You know, it could be. You know, I had a guy tell me, he said, oh, I've shot so many deer with a compound, I decided to go to a traditional. It just was, wasn't a challenge anymore. I can't envision <laughs> that happening for me, uh, especially with the company, you know, being high-tech gear. But, uh, you know, if that's the case, then, yeah, that might be the right move. So yeah. before I launch into my next area that I, that I kind of had in mind, anything you guys wanted to touch on that I might have missed? I don't think so, other than shooting the first elk this year. Okay. Well, what happened with that? Well, I mean, I'll just we'll just give you kind of the the day of version. Um, so day ten. Yeah, it was the yeah the Wednesday of our our second week out there, and we woke up super early just to get out to where this little pocket field was in the in the timber that they they come up from down low up through the timber and go up in the dark timber for the day to bed. Hmm. And I'm standing on the edge of this field and Amber was about 10 yards into the woods a little bit. And these, there's probably four or five bulls screaming at each other. Like 50 yards away. We can't do anything. We're just hmm. waiting, waiting. I can see them. Yeah. Hmm. So we were just going to let them go by us because they were so close. We didn't want to just spook them out of there. Hmm. And as we're standing there, um, hear sticks breaking below us i'm like man it kind of sounds like it's coming closer so i already had an arrow knock so i put my release on and i could see this bull i'm like oh my god that bull's gonna walk out in the field and give pat like a 30 yard shot oh my god this is happening right awesome <laughs> so i had ranged the trees uh for the furthest that i could shoot at like 35 yards and i had my dial at 35 because i was shooting a single pin mm -hmm. and before he came in, I changed it to 40. I'm like, I'm going to put it at 40 just in case. Right. So he, he came in, and he had no reason to leave the herd because the herd was moving uphill. But he came out. I'm like, all right, I know I'm at 40. i got to aim lower because he's closer. And I drew back. I took my time, and I shot. 
but I didn't aim high or aim low enough, and I spined him. Wow. So I knocked, knocked another arrow and walked down the hill, and yeah, Amber, Amber was behind me, and she knocked an arrow as well. So the bull ended up having three arrows in him. Well, yeah, yeah that's that's common even with whitetails too. You know, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Like this thing is not going anywhere. No, so, no, you pinned him down. You know, we waited <laughs> for him to expire and uh, kind of took the moment in. And there's bulls bugling wow. like 50 yards below us. I'm like, dude, grab your call. Let's Whoa. go get me an out too. Nice. And uh, that ended up not panning out. I'm like, all right, let's just get yours taken care of. So, so. yeah, so how, so how big of an animal was this in weight? So he was five. I think the the processor said it was five five hundred hanging weight. Hanging weight was five something. Jeez, yeah. so live weight was. We got we got two hundred and twenty pounds of meat out of them. Yep, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 amazing. Like I got I think eighty nine out of this buck I shot this year. I mean I thought that was a lot, but a whole, oh my god. Oh, gosh. that that is a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 no, but like uh, that's that you'd be set for quite some time, even with one decent size elk. Then, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because we usually shoot four deer a year just to get us through, like, per year. And that's it's equivalent to four deer, about yeah. the meat that we get out of four deer. Oh, no doubt. So, you know, bow hunting this year, whitetail in Michigan, and we're like, meh, we don't really need to go <laughs> Not as much. Not as much. Well, yeah, you already had, so you already had like 600 pounds on the ground and you wanted to put another, you know, another, another 600 on the ground right after him. But that, that was a blessing in disguise because we would have had to spend like 500 bucks to ship it home and then right. we would have had to buy another freezer. Right. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, there was a lot of lessons learned. Interesting. For, for this year. So prepping ahead of time would be useful in this case too. So if you don't have freezer space, FYI people, <laughs> you may, you may want to prepare yourself with that yeah 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 that's that's a great point so that's an awesome story i'm sure it was an exhilarating rush and i can just i can feel it in your voice i mean in hearing you recount the story you can you can it's like very tangible you can feel that so that's awesome i love talking about this stuff so good deal well that that worked out nicely and i imagine next year or this year rather i guess uh you're going back again yeah we're definitely going back and oh i mean i just had uh, rotator cuff surgery so i won't be shooting my bow until probably july but we have to see if we uh can draw in montana too it's getting to be a yeah pretty hopping state so yeah yeah so that's fingers crossed so if you couldn't would you consider another state or would you just yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah okay yeah because colorado they have unlimited over-the-counter tags that you can buy right for our so okay that would probably be our next bet so yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like if you're, even depending on what state you're going, um, you want to have like three or four different plans or of areas that you want to go to just because if one doesn't pan out, you want to have options as, yeah. as backups to go to. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, that's 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 a good, that's also another excellent point is, you know, you can't just sort of put all your eggs in one basket here when you're when you're planning these, mm-hmm. these trips. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, good. and training beforehand. Training is huge. Do a lot of running and a lot of hiking with a weighted pack. Altitude is an issue as well? Uh, not altitude, mainly just any sort of incline when you're chasing elk kicks your butt. Right, right. <laughs> so at the end of these days, I'm sure you you, know, you, you hit the pillow and you're probably out. <laughs> yeah, naps, yeah, naps are pretty good out there. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> Well, I'll definitely be researching this further for myself, and, and I would encourage other people out there, if you're 
looking to do it, uh, you know, like Amber had said, you know, take take initiative and look into it. And I don't, how can they contact you? Can listeners reach out to you guys? Yeah, I was just going to say, feel free to reach out to either of us on Facebook or Instagram. I don't okay. know if you'll put our Instagram handles. I can. I can, I can yeah. do that. I can do um, that on the post. Send them on Facebook. It's the easiest way, usually. Yeah. Just no creepers. I, no creepers. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the creepers. I will definitely block the creepers. <laughs> and, and they are out there. And, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, a, that's another good segue. And this is another area that, <laughs> that we can talk about is, you know, when it comes to social media, it's such a key part of, of hunting, the hunting community in general now. And it's a huge aspect of how tap runs. It, tap wouldn't exist if it weren't for Instagram. I tell people that all the time. That was our source of getting exposed to people. And it's amazing what you can accomplish if you have the time to put into it for free, you know, just to get you out there. But along with that, uh, I don't, don't want to say this carefully, but along with that, there are some downsides to it. And, you know, we see examples all the time of, you know, people doing things maybe incorrectly or misrepresenting, you know, who we are as bow hunters, I think at times. Do it um, for the wrong reasons. Sure, because you can become well known to some extent, at least within that realm. Uh, you know, you can get a lot of followers if you know how to do it. And some people pay for it, I believe, too. Yeah. Um, you know, and given that we have. A prominent and accomplished person here with us, Amber, and, and being that she's a woman in bow hunting, I feel it's relevant and important to talk about, you know, how social media is impacting women in bow hunting, maybe even youth in bow hunting. But in particular, what's going on that you see out there that's good? What's going on that's bad in social media with women in bow hunting? So, like, you kind of touched on it earlier, misrepresentation, and um, I don't want to say giving us a bad name because... It's not just women, you know, anybody can give anybody Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, it's, I I don't know if I want to sugarcoat this or just uh, come out and say it, but there's so many people, women out there looking for handouts. They want their face, whether they're pretty face, whatever, plastered everywhere just so they can get the followers, get the perks, get to go to all these shows. Shooting in bikinis. Yes, shooting in bikinis. Do you really need to post a picture of shooting your bow on a bikini top? No. No? You really don't. You can do all that shit with your clothes on, to be completely honest. You can. And it's, it's, it's frustrating for women like me and all of the other thousands of women that work our asses off. Right. And actually represent the community in a very tasteful way when you see those type of girls getting the quote-unquote perks and getting the experiences. And it's just, it's almost embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So, we have to tread kind of lightly when it it comes to that. You do. If you, and I'm kind of generalizing, but majority of those women that are have the tens of thousands of followers posting pictures in bikinis. You talk to them about tuning their bow, what kind of bow they have, what kind of arrows they're shooting, anything like that. They don't have a clue. Yeah, in some cases that's You know, that's and, that, and that sucks. It really does. Yeah, it, it, it does 
lend itself to discrediting, like you said, discrediting people that really have that level of competence, uh, yeah. whether they be men or women. In this case, we're talking about it, be, how it affects women. But I, I would have to agree. And, you know, like I, before we started the show, I had mentioned that I, th coming from my perspective, I don't exactly know, of course, being a male bow hunter and always being around primarily men that bow hunt. But I would think if you're a woman and you have accomplished something, you would be concerned about how it might be, how you might be perceived. And, you know, would, th would these people be having a negative impact on people? whether people take you seriously. Say, for example, you recommend yeah. an element X to someone. How, how will they view yeah. that? Will they say, well, that's just a girl. That's just a woman. Like, that wouldn't work for yeah. me. That is absolutely wrong, but it might happen. Exactly. And I have a quick little story just for, you know, if people believe me or women or not. So I went to ATA a couple years ago, and it was my first time there, first and only time there. I had kind of just gotten into the industry, and I'm not going to name any names or companies, but um, walked up to a booth and met the CEO of a company and got introduced to him, and one of his first questions, I'm not kidding you, was, so do you actually kill animals and hunt? Whoa. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I thought he was joking, and he yeah. was not joking, yeah. so I kind of put on the professional face and not my smart ass face right. and, you know got through it but that was a big eye-opener for me I'm like yeah. how many yeah. of women not like me does he deal with and that he has to right. weed out that's why he said it I, I can tell you from experience you yep. know he he cut through the crap right to the point and yeah. you know it's unfortunate that Maybe he came across a little too blunt with the way he approached yeah. it. But, but what he was doing was trying to avoid getting into a conversation, thinking there's potential, and then finding out later yeah. that there's not. You know, and, and I have seen that. And that's not true just for women. Trust me. I have had a lot of you know, so-called outdoor shows, you know, outdoor hunting groups reach out. It's a constant thing. And everyone represents themselves as having value. In reality, only a very small sliver of them actually pr present much value to you as a company. Yeah, and, and it's hard and it frustrates me to feel like, at least I feel like, and maybe this is wrong, but I always have to prove myself. It's like I have yeah. to yeah. make sure I post certain things or say certain things that make me know what I'm talking about. Right. And I, I don't like that, no. but... Yeah, it's, you know, it's we got to fight it. We got to fight against that to some to the best we can. And by, you know, by using products, for example, like, like ours that are now seen as premier, that makes a difference. And, and mm -hmm. whether somebody would take the recommendation and, and then use it for themselves, I don't know. But being seen using gear that already has a certain association with it, I believe makes a difference. Uh, I think that will, in time, you know, people will be able to sort through who, who the pretenders, who the contenders are. And I'd like to think we can, but I'm sure it'll, it'll take quite some time. It's, it's a, it's a male-dominated sport. It probably always will be. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to adjust how we see things. And, oh, yeah. You know. And like I was telling you earlier, it when I get approached by men or I approach men at whatever, be it a BHA event or expo, and they don't really take me seriously until I start speaking their language, per se. And 
Yeah. Kind of the high tech talk on the arrows and bows and yep. hunting. That'll and make people listen. You can kind of see their whole demeanor change. Yep. That will make people it, listen. It's, it's, it's almost yep. comical. Yeah. And, you know, it, whether you should have to, to roll that out or not, you probably do. And, and the fact that you can is phenomenal. You know, if you can start talking about arrow spine and about, you know, about how arrows ultimately need to be stabilized more quickly in flight or anything like that, that you've learned yeah. through your shooting and what that means to being competent as an archer, people are going to listen. They will. And if they're oh, serious sure. about bow hunter, bow hunting, they, they will owe it to themselves really to listen. Because I look at it as every person you encounter who, who shows some degree of understanding and ability, you can learn something from that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you should be open to that. You should be open and to that. And that's where, you know, I don't, I obviously don't know everything. And I don't act like I do. That's another downfall yeah. of a lot of the women. I feel yeah. like they, they think they know a lot, but then they just come off as, yeah. I don't want to say dumb, but, you know, don't don't talk about stuff if you really don't know what it means. Don't so I, I'll be completely honest. If, if somebody talks to me about something, I'm like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Can you please explain that? Sure. <laughs> Sure. But, so. or, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, the honesty there is good. And, or you could say, yep. well, I do understand this aspect of it, but I don't understand that aspect. Can you, yep. can you fill me in? You know, yeah, and I think exactly. that would, I think that would really work. So then you just dig yourself in a hole. <laughs> oh, you can do that pretty quick. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. you know, when starting this business, you know, that was something that I had to be mindful of is that I, you know, starting out, I was not an expert on st- stabilization. I was more of an expert on titanium and how to utilize it and what it can do. And, you know, but people would reach out and assume that you know everything about whatever this particular, you know, area in archery is. And still, I have a lot to learn. You know, there's a lot. And and I see things all the time that make me realize, well, individual archers, there's a lot that can vary. You know, so we have to be open to that. We have to be open that... Even though most people might do better with this length of product, maybe in some cases, certain people, certain bows, they are better off with a slightly mm-hmm. shorter, yep. a sh- you know, shorter stabilizer. And you brought up terrain and conditions, and all those things have to be factored in too, and that's not my area of expertise. So mm-hmm. somebody says, well, I really need to go a little lighter. Maybe they actually do. And, you know, yeah. do the, you know it's something to consider. It is. So I, I love I love the the feedback you guys are giving me. This is a great episode. So probably to to sum up, uh, there's one thing we should touch on. You mentioned it, and that's BHA. What is BHA? Mm-hmm. BHA is a backcountry hunters and anglers. Okay. Uh, we essentially are the the voice for sportsmen, whether you be a hunter, fisher, hiker. If you enjoy public land, we help to keep it public for you. We hmm. try to protect that. Um, along with conservation, we do a lot of river cleanups, um, parks that are, you know, already established, just keep them clean and up to par. Uh, yeah. Anything to do with conservation, public land, outdoors, you name it. Contacting congressmen. Contacting, yep. The policy side of things. Um, I just, I, I'm a board member for the Michigan chapter and I was just texting another board member and he went to a DNR meeting the other night and he's going to try to go to one this weekend and there's meetings awesome. in Lansing, uh, our capital, which a lot of people try to make. So there's, there's a lot to it. Okay. Yeah. I, I had heard of it and recently one of our other team members was talking to me about it and said, Hey Sam, you really should talk about that when you do the podcast with Amber and Pat 
And mm-hmm. he said, you know, if you can look into it for, you know, for getting tap involved in some form or fashion, you should. And I, I'd like to. So I don't know what's in PA yet. I haven't done my research, but I'm going to find yeah, out. Uh, Pennsylvania, I'm still getting pretty familiar with it. I'm only about a year. I've been with them for about a year, and that's a lot to learn in just a year. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, my th- I just follow the Pennsylvania BHA chapter okay. on social media. Okay. I've noticed they do a pretty good job at putting information out there. I couldn't tell you who's on the board or who to contact in Pennsylvania, but just reach out to them. I okay. mean, they're... Just like us, any BHA chapter in the U.S. and Canada, are they more, more than willing to well, help out anywhere? I think I did actually have someone give me some information at one point. One of our guys had okay. given me something. And I'm, yeah, I get so much – there's a flood of information that comes in. And he gave me a pamphlet yeah. at one point. I think it may have actually been uh, for the BHA chapter. So I'm going to look at that. And, you know, that, that's <laughs> – you know, that's one of those areas where it's it's almost like a, there's like a sensory overload on my end. There's so yeah, many different things. You guys, Pennsylvania has a total archery challenge shoot. Don't yeah, have seven we do. Springs, I we think. do. Yep. And um, I might go to that. Because that was huge, at least for us. We, BHA played a big part in the shoot up at Boyne last year. So I don't know if the Pennsylvania chapter gets involved, but that's something to look into. Okay. Because you, you know, tap archery shoot you can just tie it all in together oh, somehow yeah. oh yeah yeah definitely get involved total archery challenge is really our cup of tea is, is how i see it i mean that that's yeah. that's the kind of archer we need to be reaching right there yep. you know yep. so well i thank you for covering so much of course we could have gone on probably considerably longer if we wanted to and, yes and, this was you know, the cliff note version yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely and maybe in time what we can do here coming up is try to get some very specialized content where we uh, you know prepare a good yeah. bit ahead of time maybe go back to the elk hunting and talk about the step by step the actual the real nitty-gritty details of getting that set up, you know, maybe even talk about where you apply for these tags, how much does it cost, you know, those kinds of things. You know, I feel like, especially us being on the east side of the U.S., east siders really look for that information when they're going out west. They're like, we obviously didn't, we grew up in 800 feet of elevation, so we don't know what to expect out there. So any information you can put out there like that is, is awesome. Would have to agree. Well, if there's anything you want to say in closing, if not, uh, I will sum it up. No, I mean, we appreciate you having us on here, and I have more questions for you now. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> anytime, and just stuff, you know, again, to let, let people know that, that that's available, that if you have questions, please don't hesitate to ask. It's better to ask than to get product that isn't ideal for you. And I'm, I'm open to that. I'll do my best to answer every question. It, it gets a little hectic. This, this past month has been uh, smashing for us. So this January has been really, really, really busy. And I, I can't state that enough. But don't, don't hesitate to ask. And Amber, if you have questions about, you know, really how to set up uh, the stabilizer you know, that you have, for example, you have an Element X 8-inch. Well, that has three weights on it. People get those and assume that, well, if it has three on, I guess that's how it's supposed to be used. Not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. And you may want to adjust that over time. So. Yeah. No, I mean, both of us look forward to being on your team and 
seeing what 2019 brings and it's going to be huge huge well, <laughs> I, I i i hear that a lot and then i, I have to wonder like, i always wonder what is huge in the archery industry you know we're <laughs> you'll what, find out yeah exactly we don't know <laughs> We don't know, um, but whatever it brings, I look at it as a fun ride, and I am really pleased to have you two with us and everyone else that's joined recently. Thank you guys for applying and becoming part of the team. And that concludes another episode of Tapped into Bowhunting and Archery. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. Visit our website at titaniumarcheryproducts.com to see all the high-performance accessories and Athens bows we sell. And everyone, don't forget, stay tapped out.